The Rush Hour is on the air. Attention Ditto Heads. Attention Bo Scouts. Rush. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. The year was 1961, April 14th. Cupid, draw back your bow. Every time I hear Steve Perry, I think of Sam Cooke. Yeah, I hear it. A little bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's kind of a style thing. Right. But we have on the phone with us one of the guys that has, I, I love people's names. I love when people just have the perfect name. And we have him. One of the guys in a journalist that has like the perfect name, Josh Hammer. It sounds like you could be a movie star, Josh. Josh Hammer, <laughs> the action series coming. <laughs> How you doing, Josh? You know, you're way too kind for me. I, I used to joke growing up that I should have been a baseball player, but unfortunately, I could barely get the ball past the pitcher's mound. So that that was that was not meant to be, Alas. <laughs> I mean, I do. I have a friend who's in radio, to me, he has like the perfect, perfect radio name, Lars Larson. It's just like, it's just, everything is just perfect. And you have that with radio. I mean, and, and Josh Hammer, to me, it sounds like a movie name. Sounds like you should have a book series named after you. But you have a great column today, and I want you to walk us through it. I want us to walk us through the only way out is through. It's a strange headline. And tell us what you mean by the only way out is through. Yeah, sure thing. So, you know, as the hegemonic left, the cultural assault, the rise of wokeism, all of that, it has accelerated so much over the past decade. And I kind of draw a line, a trajectory in the column, really starting around the left boycotts of Chick-fil-A around the time of the same-sex marriage debate about a decade or so ago. And as they've gotten ever more aggressive, you know, as my friend Eric Erickson, uh, speaking of radio hosts, uh, as Eric likes to say, he said a long time ago, you will be made to care, which is basically translation for, you know, in the context of Jack Phillips, Masterpiece Cake Shop out in Colorado, bake the damn cake, bigot. You will not have a choice. You will have to bend the knee to the left's cultural agenda. Now, amidst that backdrop, Bo, I think a lot of conservatives have had the instinct to basically just retreat to their enclaves, to kind of just try to surround themselves with like-minded people, move to red states. And I, I, I support all of that. I mean, I live in Florida. I live in a red state. I, I, I very much support that. The problem is that that is a necessary but by no means sufficient condition for surviving this broader onslaught. And I think that conservatives, we on the right in general, basically just have to man up and get dirty when it comes to economic boycotts, things like this pushback against Bud Light for this asinine uh, special campaign they ran with Dylan Mulvaney celebrating, quote-unquote, 365 years of girlhood. Another thing that I flagged in the column, a very similar kind of boycott-style metric, so the, the former federal judge that I clerked for, Judge Jim Ho on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, has been the leader on the federal judiciary in terms of boycotting hiring law clerks 
from woke law schools. He led the charge in boycotting Yale Law School last year after they shouted down a conservative speaker. And most recently, he's just added Stanford Law School to that list for what they did to his Fifth Circuit colleague, Kyle Duncan, shouting him down last month. The point here is that these these kind of tactics are not necessarily natural to a lot of conservatives who would really just kind of prefer to just, you know, live and let live, kind of like live in your community, surround yourself with fellow kind of virtuous religious people. But the point of the column is that you can't do that. And the only way out really is to actually fight the fight and ultimately see ourselves through. Well, let me ask, because it's it's interesting you mentioned that, because last week I, I was in a mood. And I just, I don't care about this Budweiser stuff. I don't care what beer you drink, beer whatever, drink whatever beer you want to drink. You don't want to drink Bud, don't drink Bud. You want to drink it, drink it. Who cares? But what you're saying is that that is kind of not going to help us. And I am also incensed by some of these continued culture wars. Uh, this business, look, Josh, we, many of us are in the position of having to defend things that are indefensible almost. It is indefensible to think that a man could be a woman. It just goes against everything that we are taught. Now, I understand, and I have a great deal of empathy, and I, I say this every time I have to deal with this topic. I have empathy for people that suffer from dysphoria. I'm not denying that dysphoria is real. I'm not denying that there are people who don't like living in the body that they're in. Every time I look at the mirror, I experience that. Like, what happened to me? I don't like this body anymore. And, and to, I have to get to the, in fact, I went to the gym this, but I, anyway, wow. don't make it about me. It's, <laughs> but this is, but you're saying we are at the point where we can't afford to sit on the sidelines and be live and let live. We actually have to be activists or take a role in seeing some of these cultural phenom defeated. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So, you know, once upon a time, my 1L year, my first year of law school, I remember I was taking a course and kind of, it was a mandatory course on like formal logic and things like that. And they teach you, they probably still do, that the so-called slippery slope, the notion that if one thing will happen, it'll just be a matter of time until the next thing happens. They teach you in law school, at least when I was there, that that is a so-called, quote-unquote, logical fallacy. But it's not a logical fallacy. It is very, very, very real. And again, if you think back to kind of the same-sex marriage fights, which these days just seem so quaint. I mean, you know, that issue was, was decided by the Obergefell case at the Supreme Court back in 2015. It's almost yesterday's battle. It really did set the stage for so much of what we are now seeing when it comes to the transgender issue. And then you kind of exacerbate that. You augment that reality with the other dual reality that they are coming for our private businesses, whether you are trying just to, to bake a cake. There's another case at the Supreme Court just this term. It's kind of a similar case. It's called 303 Creative, a case also out of the state of Colorado involving a Christian marriage website designer. So she basically designs websites, custom websites for people's weddings. And she, it would violate her conscience to design a, 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 a wedding website for a same-sex wedding, but she's being sued to do so. The point is that live and let live, that went out the window many years ago. They, the, the reality, the inescapable reality, 
is that they are coming from us. They think that our views are hate speech and that our views do not even merit polite discussion. That's a takeaway from what happened to Judge Duncan at Stanford Law School last month, among many other kind of woke incidents on university campuses all across America. And when it comes to such an obvious kind of slam dunk misalignment between an advertising campaign and a customer base, which is what I view happening to Bud Light with this gobsmacking Dylan Mulvaney campaign. I mean, Bud Light, you know, Bud Light is as American as apple pie and skirting on your income tax. I mean, Bud Light is like a quintessential American (laughs) brand, right? So, I mean, what a fundamental misalignment there. So if we don't try to boycott and speak out there, I think that we'd be doing a disservice. I really do. Well, let me ask you about this Bud Light situation. Uh, According to the news stories, they've lost about $6 billion in market cap since this happened. Now, do you think the companies that have engaged in these sort of practices before, uh, like Woka Wola, when they went after this, this, this lie that Republicans in Georgia were going, trying to go back to Jim Crow days, um, we've seen evidence to the contrary, for instance. They were wrong when, they, when Koch and Delta and others entered that fight on behalf of the Democrat Party. Now you have Bud losing $6 billion in market cap. Now, we don't know, of course, whether that's going to continue, whether people will say, okay, I, I miss my Bud, I'm going back to it, or whether they will make permanent changes. But do you think that the, the instinct for some of these corporations to lean into this wokeism is a thing that it's unshakable, or do you think that that this lesson that Budweiser is going through right now will cause some of these companies to think twice? I, I think it will cause some com- some companies to think twice. I, I definitely do not think that this is kind of a a fundamental one way ratchet. So I think back to an example from just about a year ago. So it was around April of last year. Where here in Florida, where I live, Governor DeSantis really kind of smacked the Walt Disney Company and removed their special tax breaks and various other incentives for the, the so-called Reedy Creek Improvement District there in central Orlando. And it was within a month after that. So that was roughly mid-April. So by, by mid-May or so, I remember two things had happened by then. The first thing was ExxonMobil, which is uh, you know obviously an international oil and gas company based in Texas. They issued an, an internal missive to all employees, if I recall, instructing them to no longer externally fly, like out the outward-facing windows of their offices, the rainbow flag or Black Lives Matter flag. I think they sent both of those things. And around the same time as that, so this is a, a late April, early May or so of last year. Well, I guess I, I remember exactly when it was. It was May 3rd of last year was when the abortion opinion at the Supreme Court, the Dobbs opinion, leaked. And there was this corporate strategy group that sent a memo to a lot of their corporate clients and the memo leaked it it leaked pretty soon thereafter axios wrote it up if i recall and lots of other inside the beltway publications were on top of it and this corporate memo to fortune 500 clients basically said be quiet don't talk about the Dobbs opinion and you know if you read between the lines there what they're really saying is just don't get involved maybe it's not worth your time i mean look at what DeSantis just did to disney things like that so I definitely don't think that this is unshakable, especially when you consider all the effort that some big red states like Texas and Florida and Tennessee are increasingly doing 
in terms of dictating their uh, the asset managers for their for their pension funds and things like that to not give to companies that do, do not singularly prioritize shareholder returns. Uh, so put another way, to, to disincentivize these asset managers from getting their hands dirty with pro ESG companies, things like that. So you know, I think the tide is possibly slowly turning on this issue. I mean, really all we want is to return to the status quo ante where corporations just focused on their shareholders. I mean, it's really not too much to ask, I think. It really isn't. Josh, thank you so much for being with us today. As always, we love your appearance here. We want to have you more. So let's be in touch and make sure that you uh, come back with us as often as we would both like. I would love that. You have a great weekend. Thank you. Josh Hammer, ladies and gentlemen, you can find his column in Newsweek today. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, Bo Snurley's Rush Hour. It's Friday. We're going to get to calls and a lot of other stuff, too. So don't go away. Coming right back. On a cold and gray Chicago morning, a poor little baby child is born in the ghetto. By the way, this was a comeback song. Elvis Presley. Supposedly his time was up, it was over. And think about this. This was his hit. Comeback hit. April 14th. 1969. In the ghetto. Simply turn our heads and look the other way. Well, the world turns. And a hungry little boy with a runny nose plays in the street as a cold wind blows in the ghetto. 